Good morning, everybody. For those who don't know me, my name is Vaughan, and it's a great privilege for me to be here this morning with you and to be sharing around the introduction to James in James chapter 1. I'm very excited to be preaching on this. One of the big challenges about preaching about James is so much stuff to do. So uh, let's just pray for the Lord's grace to be with us today. Father, we thank you that you are a good God. We thank you that you are who you say that you are. Receive your grace this morning to hear your word. Quite a tough word, but we want to receive it. We want to receive it along with your grace. And we thank you that you're here by your Holy Spirit. You're welcome here. Speak to us, we pray. Teach us, we pray. Let these words be your words. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so I'm going to start just reading the, the passage for us. It's the second portion of the first chapter, starting from verse 19. And it's entitled, in my Bible, it's entitled Listening and Doing. Uh, although that's not in the original text, so I don't stress too much about that. But my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Whatever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard, but doing it, they'll be blessed in what they do. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this to look after orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Amen. We heard last week that it was James, the half-brother of Jesus, who wrote this book. He was known in the, in the church, actually, as James the Just. He's quite a wise man, uh, quite a pious man. And, um, and we can see from the writing of James, he obviously had great literary skill, uh, in some ways, for us as we read it now, it might appear to be a whole bunch of sayings piled together, but he's actually put it together really cleverly. And um, and you see in this first chapter, he introduces all these different themes that Craig started outlining uh, last week and that we will see unfolding in the weeks to come, in the coming chapters. So James was a Jew, of course, and he was the leader in the main church, the mother church in Jerusalem. And he's writing this letter to the 12 tribes scattered. In other words, the Jews that have left Jerusalem and gone to the countries of the known world. And he's sharing this letter of wisdom with them because he wants them to become that word that Craig mentioned last week, tamim. He wants them to become not necessarily perfect as we understand perfect today, but complete, mature. And so he's giving these instructions to these Jews. And the main theme that comes out of this particular passage is to challenge them around the integrity of their faith. 
And the reason we know this is it's, it's written in a sort of a, what we'd call in literary terms, a little mini chiasm. It's like a little, um, where he, he puts an example in the beginning and an example at the end. But the main point is really in the, in the middle of this little passage. And, um, and he flanks it with these two, these two ideas. And we're going to get into that just now. And the middle focus is this focus on this beautiful metaphor, the mirror. It's a picture of integrity. It's a picture of doing what you say you're going to do, being who you say you are, doing the things that you say you believe in, being that person that you believe and that you say that you are. Another description we can use is, is the word congruency, which is when there's no division, there's no disconnect between the two. And what he especially wanted them to be congruent in was in what the scriptures taught and how they were living their lives. So let's jump into the first issue in verse 19. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Now the Bible that James read was, of course, the Torah and the prophets and the Psalms and the Proverbs. And so we see James sharing these wise words, almost quoting verbatim some of these Old Testament scriptures, which the Jews that he was writing to would have known. They would have known it off by heart, because as they grew up, they studied their scripture and they knew their scripture and they could quote it. So you can pick up James's nuance onto these things. And let's look at some of those verses in Psalm 37, verse 8. And these will all go up in the PowerPoint slide. So if you're at home uh, or you want to watch this later, you can pick up on all these verses. I've put them up on the slides for you. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it tends only to evil. Psalm 86. But you, O God, are a merciful God and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in, lo- in steadfast love and faithfulness. Proverbs 14. Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. Proverbs 29, verse 22. A man of wrath stirs up strife, and one given to anger causes much transgression. Jesus also speaks about anger in Matthew 5. Uh, In the Beatitudes, he starts off about blessed are the peacemakers. And he goes on from there. And we're going to touch on that just now. So he's reminding them of what they already know. These Jews know the scripture. He's putting these wise sayings out there. But they know, they can make the connection. He's making the connection to the word that they know. He's not giving them new sayings. These are sayings that they know and that they've learnt as they've grown up. You know, in my own life, before I came to know Jesus, I had uh, quite a terrible temper. I think it was, it was fueled by um, mostly, you know, poor self-esteem and, you know, uh, insecurities. Um, and, um, but when I received Jesus and, and the Spirit, I received this, this healing, this, um, this, this grace that came upon me. And, and it helps me, it helped me. It has changed my life around how I relate to people and, um, and how I respond to issues that frustrate me. And for the most part, I can control my anger quite easily. I don't, I don't normally get angry that often. But, but the thing is, I'm, I'm an amiable person and a little laissez fair, <laughs> if you know me. <laughs> um, and so I can take a lot of abuse. And I can take a lot of abuse for a long time, but there will come a point 
at which I will not take that abuse any longer. <laughs> and for whatever reason. <laughs> and then I usually, you know, an amiable, when their back's against the wall, they'll, they will bite, right? And they will explode. They will, they will have a meltdown. Um, and it can be quite nasty. And so while this doesn't happen often, <laughs> it is one of those um, struggles in my life. And when I'm not close to the Lord, when I'm frustrated, when I'm, when I'm tired, when I'm stressed, when, I, when I've been ashamed of something or something's happened, um, I can often get into that space very quickly, even if the person who's angering me is not really the main issue, right? Um, and I have to constantly go back to remembering what God has done in my life and calling on that grace and, 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 and appropriating that grace every day to receive it in the moment. And this is not easy, but it's what, it's what James is really calling the Jews to do. We, we don't know if they had a specific quarrel or a specific argument with, 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 amongst themselves. Um, we don't know if they're possibly um, quarreling about all the Gentiles that are being brought into the fold by Peter and Paul, and they were scattered out there amongst the Gentiles, and they were maybe not so happy about all these new converts that didn't have the background and the pedigree that they had. Um, but we do know that he was reminding them of their faith and of the word of God that they knew and of the need to be true to what they knew God was, who they knew God was, and who they knew God wanted them to be. So let's go to the, the second part of this, of this chiasm. If we skip to verse 26, we can see the next issue, and it's, it's, it's this. Verse 26, those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues, deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. Here, the word religion is meaning the ways in which people brought glory to God. In, in the context, it was the, the, their public worship, their public um, um, prayers, their fasting, which was often a communal uh, season for them. Um, and their, their, their gatherings. This was what it means, the term religious means here. And this teaching is taken almost exactly from the teaching of Jesus around the Lord's Supper. Where in Matthew 5, he says, I tell you, if you are angry with your brother or sister, you will be judged. If you say bad things to a brother or sister, you will be judged by the council. And if you call someone a fool, you will be in danger of the fire of hell. So when you offer your gift, we all know this part of the scripture, when you offer your gift to God at the altar and remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there at the altar. Go and make peace and then come and offer your gift. In other words, our gifts to God, these public acts of worship, of prayer, of gathering, they carry no power and no blessing when we're not acting in love, when we're not speaking words of life to people with love and grace and respect, when we're not living in this posture of repentance and forgiveness, the repentance and forgiveness lifestyle. Our actions on the outward have no power, and God will not bless it. Besides speaking words of life and love, there's another thing that James calls the, the Jewish Christians to change their mindset about. 
and about what is religious. What is the real public act of worship? Verse 27, religion that our God, that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. God in the scripture declares who he is. He declares it multiple times. Um, In Deuteronomy uh, chapter 10, he says, he defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the alien or the refugee, the stranger, giving him food and clothing. And God specifically calls us to the same lifestyle in imitation and obedience. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Encourage the oppressed. Defend the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow in Isaiah. Defend the cause of the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the rights of the poor and the oppressed in Psalm 82. When we consider the vulnerable groups that that God defends, it's interesting to note that the widows and the orphans um, that were in society who have been excluded have often been done so for societal systemic reasons. Their rights are being infringed. Um, so when a family was poor, the widow and orphan would likely inherit the husband's, the husband's uh, share. But they would also inherit the husband's debt. And if the husband had a lot of debt, they would have to sell off their land, their family land, their clan land. And that was the primary means of income in an agrarian society at that time. So God gave laws to protect these vulnerable groups, specifically their boundaries, their physical field boundaries, because he did not want them to become exploited. Proverbs 23 says, Their defender is strong, and he will take up their case against the one who encroaches on their fields. Proverbs 15 verse 25, The Lord tears down the proud man's house, but he keeps the widow's boundaries intact. God lays out the social, the social contract with his rights. You can read all through it in Deuteronomy and, and, and see how he lays out the reason he desires this mercy is because of who he is. But then in Deuteronomy, in Leviticus, you see all the laws that he asked the Israelites to create right? in order to maintain this mercy and this justice. Many of those laws we've inherited today, thankfully. But also in laws of of mercy, you see the artworking in that time. So the opportunity to glean, for example, was a law placed into into the Israelite law for for the opportunity for them to be able, as, as widows, orphans, foreigners, to be able to glean from the edge of the field. And it was incumbent upon the community to not reap to the edge of their field. That's the outworking of this heart of God. Another outworking in the law of justice is that those dispossessed of their ancestral lands could always buy them back. No clan could take over another clan's land permanently. There would always be an opportunity for them to be able to buy back their land so that no, no tribe, no community, no family would be permanently dispossessed. God is saying, this is who I am, a God of mercy and a God of justice. And I will not tolerate the opposition, the oppression of the poor. Therefore, this is who you too should be. And this is what your public act of worship, your religious 
acts, your works of faith should look like. So these are the two areas that James is challenging the Jewish Christians about. First, you know the word, follow the word. That word should allow you to understand that we need to speak to one another. We need to engage with one another. We need to be in relationship with one another in love, in peace, in harmony, in unity. Not to be getting angry with one another. Not to be speaking critically of one another. And the second is, of course, that we should be defending the poor and the vulnerable, the widow and the orphan. That should be who we are. We should not rely, as perhaps some of the Jewish Christians were doing, on their religious background to say, well, we sacrifice and we worship like this. God's saying, well, that's not enough. That's not my heart. So let's go back to the middle. Verse 21, therefore get rid of all moral filth and the evil that's so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. The word James uses here for get rid of evil and sin is in fact to take it off, like, um, like clothing. In verse 27, it says don't be polluted by the world. Right? It's, um, it's if it's been thrown on top of you or thrown into your space. Don't be captured by the world's love for the things that are evil. If we were to sit back and just reflect on our culture, our society at this time, and think on these particular issues, speaking in love and care for the oppressed, speaking in love and care for the oppressed, Let's just reflect a little bit where our culture is at. Currently, we see that our world is is stirring up a love, almost a fascination with division, with hate, with anger, with pointing fingers. Divisive politicians, divisive leaders, pointing fingers at other political groups, at other racial groups, and calling us in society to follow on. This is the way. This is the way we're going to solve our world's problems. Let's make everybody angry at one another, and we'll fight it out. And of course, this is how wars start. And if you're not in the sort of more political camp and not particularly bothered by politics, then you may be in the world where you're being called to consume, consume more and more, tapping into our desire to be happier and richer and smarter and more beautiful and better dressed and have more stuff. It's October. And my wife told me that Christmas is coming. <clears throat> you know how we know that Christmas is coming, right? Because when you walk into the shop, society is screaming at you to buy more stuff. Usually stuff we don't need. Creating a demand that the only way I'm going to be satisfied is if I have more. James is reminding us that this is the clothing we need to remove. 
We do not belong to the society and these norms. These are not our norms. We need to shake them off. We need to not buy into those lies that said this is the way. You need to fight like everybody else on Facebook. You need to buy more stuff like your neighbor. You need to have this thing. You need to be either right or wrong. James is reminding us that these are the outer layers of sin and evil, this anger and this hate and this greed and this consumerism and this disregard for one another and for the poor. These sins lay on top of us. And he's reminding us that God's word is placed inside of us. It's not thrown on top of us like this other stuff. It's inside of us. It's planted deep inside. We've been saved by these words, these promises of God. If we're willing to receive them, if we're willing to receive God's grace, James is referring to this this word of God, the story of God, the promises of God, in a very real sense, of course, the word of God in John, which is Jesus, has been placed inside of you. You can take off this clothing. It will take an extreme effort Walter Brueggemann, uh, an Old Testament theologian, speaks about the, to- the, the totalism, which is the society we live in. We see all these things we don't like about society, but unfortunately we live within the society. We live within this totalism. We live within the system, and so we get caught up in the system, and we do what the system does. And it's only by grace that we can separate ourselves from that view. So no, I'm... I have another master. I have another Lord. And I want my perspective to be cleansed, to be renewed. So James continues, verse 22, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks in the mirror, at his face in the mirror, and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Firstly, you have to admire the beautiful word pictures um, that these Jewish writers paint. Um, You know, their worldview is often so different to that of the West. Uh, They paint these beautiful pictures and metaphors and and stories. You know, know, from our Western perspective, we often like to to nail things down. (laughs) We like to make things very clear and precise. Um, we like to focus on the data and the bullet points and the highlights. Um, but from the East, if you, if, you, if you were to ask a Western person, you know, who is God? You know, we would most likely respond, he is almighty. You know, he is faithful. He is love. But if you ask a Jewish person, who is God? He would likely say, God is my fortress. God is my rock. He's the wind beneath my wings, or something of that nature. Um, And so we see that, and you're going to see more of that, in fact, as James unfolds. And so I want to encourage you to go read the whole book of James, and consider this also when you're reading scripture, that people from the East, and who the Bible was written to and for and by, um, 
you know, writing these stories. And these are very rich stories and very rich pictures that he gives us. And there are many of them in the book. So, so read through them and start reflecting on some of the metaphors that are still, that are still coming. And here James uses this metaphor of a mirror. Now, I looked in the mirror this morning. And, um, and for the life of me right now, <laughs> I can't remember if I combed my hair. You know, a few years ago, um, the men's group here at church uh, started a, a study on a book um, by a chap called Patrick Morley, and the book was called Man in the Mirror. And in it, Morley basically challenges um, us as men to look in the mirror and be honest with ourselves about what we see there in our hearts, um, in, our, in, our, in our behavior, um, and in our thoughts. And James is doing the same thing here. This is the main point of this passage. He's obviously concerned about the Jewish Christians' practice of their faith. Perhaps that they, because they were Jewish, they thought they had this, this inside track to God and to faith. Perhaps they thought that they, they knew the scriptures. They were not the newbies on the block, like the Gentiles that, that, that Paul and Peter were bringing in. And he challenges their integrity as the custodians of the faith. As literally, you are the originals. <laughs> You've been here a long time. You should know this stuff. But instead, you're forgetting who you are. And James is calling them to be honest with themselves, to be vulnerable about how their lives are really lining up, especially in relationship to how they speak to one another in love and, of course, how they're concerned about mercy and justice for the vulnerable. It's a call to integrity. It's a call to congruency, to who God is. Be who God has made you to be. There's a well-known author um, and writer, a lay priest, who's passed on now in 2013 by the name of uh, Brennan Manning, Richard Manning. He wrote, for those of you old enough to know, The Ragamuffin Gospel, a very well-known uh, well-known book, and he—I want to quote this um, this line that he wrote. It's 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 an often quoted and and it's a rather painful line to read. The greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, walk out the door, and deny Him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. He wrote that a long time ago, and sadly, it's still very, very true. God is calling us to look at ourselves honestly. Where are we really at when you look in the mirror? What do you see there when you look at the mirror? There's another aspect to this picture um, and this metaphor, and that is who do you see in the mirror? Who do you see in the mirror? <laughs> Some of you have heard this story before, but when Ben was born, I was working in, in the pediatric department of the hospital that he was born at. And uh, when, as he came out, um, one of my colleagues, one of the nurses, turned to me. <laughs> and she looked at me and she said, Hi, doctor. Is this a photocopy? <laughs> But it's true, isn't it? When you looked in the mirror this morning, you saw something of your mom 
or something of your dad. If you didn't see it this morning, you probably thought it when you said something yesterday or you did something yesterday and you thought, either good or bad, <laughs> I'm just like my parents, right? Um, and so too it should be for us as God's children when we look in the mirror, who should we see there? What should we see there? We should see something of God, our heavenly mother and father, looking back at us, right? Ephesians 5 says, therefore imitate God like dearly loved children. In various versions, it says, look like him. Watch what he does and then do what he does. Live your life with love. Follow the example of Christ. D.L. Moody said, out of a hundred men, one will read the Bible to know who God is. The other 99 are going to read the Christian. Most people are not going to pick up the scripture to try and understand who God is. They're going to look at us in society. They're going to look at us as a community of faith. They're going to look at all of our interactions on Facebook and Instagram, all those lovely places we love to put our opinions and ideas. And they're going to say, who are these Christians? And who is their God? What is he like? He must be like them. The world is reading us, hoping we will look like the God we profess. Do we look like Jesus? Verse 25 says, But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives, perfect free, that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Craig mentioned last week that Paul and James are not at odds with one another. Um, and you can see that. It goes back many, many years. Even the Asians believe that they kissed and made up. So let's unpack that a little bit. In his letter to the Romans, Paul shares how salvation is through grace and grace alone. It's an unearned gift, this most beautiful promise of being made right with God through faith and faith alone. We are not saved by our works. We are saved by God's work. We are saved by God's grace. Jesus himself said that he came to set us free. In Romans 6, verse 18, he says, You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. Paul speaking. However, Paul also acknowledges that there's a purpose to our salvation. In his letter to the Ephesians, chapter 2, he writes, I mean that you've been saved by grace through believing. You did not save yourselves. It is a gift from God. It is not the result of your own efforts, so that you cannot brag about it. God has made us what we are. That's clear. In Christ Jesus, God also made us to do good works, which God planned in advance for us to live our lives doing. There are ways that God desires for us to act in congruence with who he is and who he has made us to be, because that is how the world knows who he is. God has done a work of salvation, and when we receive it, we are called to get to work and live it out. So as we sit here, I want to ask us just to receive that grace, freely given, the work of God alone. 
and then I've got some tough questions for us to, to think on. So let's do that right now. I want you to close your eyes. Maybe you can put out your hands and let's just receive God's grace. Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that you are who you say that you are. We thank you for this indescribable gift. We thank you that by faith we can access this freedom, this joy, this salvation. We pray also for the grace to see what you want us to see in our lives, in how we're living our lives. So come, Lord Jesus, come, Holy Spirit. Speak to us even now, in Jesus' name. Amen. So these are the questions I want to leave with you. These are questions for you to reflect on. You can reflect on them now. You can reflect on them today. You can reflect on them this week. You can reflect on them in your uh, group together, if you're in a life group or community together. These are the questions. When people think of us as a community of faith in Pinelands, in the city of Cape Town, are we known as people who speak words of life in love? Are we known as people who speak words of life in love? Are we known as that community? When people think of us as a community of faith in Pinelands and the city of Cape Town, are we known for our love and support of the widow, the orphan, those who are systemically oppressed within our city? I did not want to go on a whole rant about the inequality of our city and our country today. It burdens me tremendously, tremendously, to the point of tears. The filth, the poverty, the pain, the suffering, the murder, the violence that is 15 minutes away from here. When people see us as a community of faith, are we known as those people who care about that? Is that what we're known for? And about ourselves, what do we see in the mirror? What do I see in the mirror? Am I being honest with myself about the areas I need grace and I need grace for obedience? I'm thinking now about my anger issues or my spending habits, or whatever that is? Am I being honest with myself when I look in the mirror? What areas of my speech or temper and anger management do I need to bring into alignment with God's heart and God's word? Are my lifestyle and priorities congruent with my stated belief and worship of the God who defends the fatherless, the widow, the refugee, and the poor? Where do you need God's grace to be obedient today? This is a question for all of us, and it's a tough question. And I want us just to keep this paradigm of reminding ourselves that we need God's grace. James is going to be a bumpy ride if we don't access God's grace. He's going to tell it to us straight. The next few weeks are going to be 
just expanding on these topics. <laughs> it's just getting deeper and deeper, mm, more and more. <laughs> so let's be open to what God wants to do in us, in our own lives, and in us as a community through this. Let's not just go through this as another study and say, oh, well, now I know what God thought the Jerusalem church needed to know. What does Pinans need to know? What do I need to know? What do I need to change? Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you also for James the Just. Thank you for his wisdom. Thank you for his words. Thank you for his directness. Thank you for his challenge to us as a community. We receive these words. We receive this challenge. And we receive also your grace to be able to respond. In Jesus' name, amen.